in this sexual energy series, you're going to get more of what you've been asking about this time of year, better sex and better relationships. Over six episodes, I handpicked and interviewed experts to talk about the latest research, studies, and even tech around sex because sex is a source of energy for all humans, at least all adult humans. You're going to learn about things like how to get a stronger, healthier penis using science to something called vaginal kung fu. It's a lot of new stuff and it's fun. I've also curated some of the best knowledge and some of the best things that you can do that help you unlock this source of biological power. If you think hunger for food is a big thing, hunger for sex is just as big, and it's one that we don't often consider. So let's do it right. Let me know how you like this new sexual energy series. Go to daveasprey.com, leave a comment for me on the podcast page, or hit me up on Insta, dave.asprey. This is episode one of the new sex energy series, and you're going to get a lot more of what you've been asking about this time of year, better sex and better relationships. Fasting myth number two. Fasting is dangerous for your body because you'll go into starvation mode. Nope, that's a myth. Fasting regulates your insulin levels and triggers biological processes that actually slow aging called autophagy. Fasting also improves stem cell regeneration. It's great for your microbiome and it reduces inflammation and enhances how your body performs all the time. You can do it without pain. All you've got to do is go to fastthisway.com, order my brand new book that I spent thousands of hours writing, and I will teach you everything in the book for two weeks. Fastthisway.com. I'll see you there. Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today is going to be a fun interview because our guest is Kim Anami who is here to talk about infusing more passion into your life and specifically into your bedroom. She's a very well-known holistic sex and relationship coach. She's a writer and a speaker, and she talks about the spiritual side of sex, of Tantra, of Taoism, transpersonal psychology, philosophy, quantum growth, and things that if you know me pretty well, you know that I'm into all of those things. I've written about my experiments to disprove the the Taoist equations for male ejaculation, uh, the Taoists were right, <laughs> by the way. So <laughs> this is going to be a really cool, a really cool interview, right in alignment with uh, Valentine's Day and romance and all that kind of stuff. I want you to walk away from this podcast um, feeling good about sex, feeling like there's more levels to go to there and to look at it emotionally, spiritually, and sexually. And uh, Kim does really fantastic trainings as well uh, that we're going to talk about, uh, something called Vaginal Kung Fu, uh, which is both hilariously titled as like the best name ever, but also just really deep getting to know a part of our bodies, whether you're a man or a woman, um, that are, are a part of our spiritual experience in the world and a part of having power. You've heard me talk about the three F words, fear, food, and the other F word that all life forms do, well, you need to be good at all three. <laughs> and that's what this episode's for. Kim, welcome to the show. I'm wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me. And I love the third F especially. Uh, I think everyone likes it, but a lot of us don't like to talk about liking it. And if we don't like it, it's probably because we haven't learned how to do it right. <laughs> now, Tell me about when you first decided, oh, I'm going to open an online sex and relationship school. It just went when you, well, you, you weren't a known person, you, you didn't know this. Like, like, like what went through your head? I, I want to know. 
Well, I was doing workshops already where I lived. I was giving talks and doing what I called salons, where I was really modeling it on this idea of the salon concept of several hundred years ago, where people would meet in these beautiful parlors. And it was the intellectual, intellectual elite of the day, like having these discussions and conversations and provocative debates around different topics, everything from politics to intimacy. And I thought, let's do that in the realm of sexuality. And so I would go out and buy some organic wine and get this local um, mushroom, actually medicinal mushroom person to make these uh, truffle mushroom aphrodisiac chocolates and then put on these presentations, these educational presentations about sex and intimacy. And then as my online presence grew and my audience grew and I began cultivating that, then I was like, okay, well, how can I put these now online? So create that experience of teaching people and have this exchange of ideas in an online forum. And that's how my sexual savant salons and online sex and education school were born. Okay, so you're already really comfortable because you're doing it locally. Because I'm just kind mm-hmm. of imagining myself, I was like, hey, I'm going to make like a, hey, you know, tap into your spiritual orgasm power thing. Like, like how would I do it with, with being playful yet deep at the same time? And, and just to, to write your first program seems like it would be one of those things like, with a lot of questions that came up. Did you have questions like, are people going to just be like, you know, oh, this this is, you know, too uh, risque or, you know, too inappropriate? Is it going to be rejected? Or you were just like, no, my salons work. I'm just, I'm all in. I knew the salons worked and I was all in. The only question I had though is, was the virtual format going to be as effective as being in person, like doing one-on-one or one-on-two coaching and workshops in person with people? And I was like, is that still going to translate into an online setting? And amazingly, I think it's been even better because there were people who for years were like, they knew about my work. They'd come to some of the salon or like the evenings, but they were afraid to take that next step of going deeper and say, coming to see me. And I think having the screen, the anonymity, not quite in your face um, concept of being doing this virtually was it helped people to feel like they could do this or they could get their partners involved in doing this without having to have the stigma of walking into an office or walking into this public space. And then I think even the collective energy of the momentum, like this combining of the energies of all the people involved in doing these things online actually acted as this amplifier and healing quantum growth accelerator because all these people are collectively focused on this. So it's actually turned out better than I would have even imagined. And I get to reach this limitless amount of people that I couldn't do if I was working again on or just in person with people. I had the same experience with the virtual conference. The first one we did after you know, seven years of in-person conferences because yeah. of COVID, we reached a lot more people globally and the energy was super high. And, and so when you do it right, I, I think you can you can have the comforts of home. You have a feeling of safety. Uh, and for these really intimate things, when whenever you're doing personal development work, feeling safe is the first thing to be able to go to a new place. And, and so creating an environment in an office like that could be hard. So, all right, th- this is cool. And the, the real reason that I wanted to have you on, um, actually there's a bunch of them, but you've said really openly that sexual energy is a power source and that when you tap mm-hmm. into it, magic happens. And I, I hint at this in some of my work and I talk about it in Game Changers and all, but Napoleon Hill <laughs> wrote about this, like the, the, the best known recent hundred plus year personal development author, like a whole chapter in his book on it. But 
it's the one that no one talks about. And you're like, okay, I studied this for many, many years. And I want to know the differences for tapping into sexual energy for men and women. And I want to go with how do women do it, but then how do men do it? And, or is it the same? All right. Well, there's a few things to address there. Um, I mean, like in my own personal experiences, before I read anything about sex or really, you know, studied anything, I had in my own experiences, these sense of sex being this portal for transformation, right? Like this idea, like there were other states of consciousness that would open to me. I would emerge out of my sexual encounters feeling really inspired and more of myself. I used to use the term self-realization. That's how I felt. It's like these parts of me that have been superimposed culturally uh, that weren't really me that I'd adapted over the years fell away and I became more of my true self. And so I'd already had this instinctive sense that sex was much more powerful than we were being led to believe. And then when I read about Taoism and Tantra, those things just echoed the experiences that I'd already been having. And then years later, I was yeah definitely tickled to find that, that lone chapter 10 in Napoleon's um, what is it? Think and Grow Rich book yeah. about sex and transmutation. That's written in 1927, right? So he's interviewing all of these moguls about how they can become their, their patterns of success to try to give a model to other people. And then he has this all important chapter about sex and using your sexual energy as a creative power source. And so all of these things have echoed the, as I said, what was opening up to me through my own personal experiences. And then through my own studies, especially in Taoist philosophy, using more techniques like, say, harnessing breath work. So, look, I, I, my, the big barometric question that I ask people is Does sex leave you feeling energized, revitalized, transformed, and like it changed your life? And if the answer is no, then you're doing it wrong. And that's not a moral <laughs> judgment, as it is, as much as it is to say that there's a way of having sex that gives you energy or takes away energy, right? That leaves you feeling like you want to go and run a marathon. And that's the big question I give to men, right? Is if you're practicing breathing techniques and recirculating your sexual energy, after you have sex, whether you orgasm or not, because I think there's still ways that men can have orgasms, but if they're recirculating that energy, they'll find a very minimal loss of energy, that they want to go to the gym. They literally want to go for a run rather than passing out, which tends to be the default action that happens after a man has had an orgasm. And then, so in that whole Tantra Taoist philosophy, the concept is that men lose a lot of energy through ejaculation. And yep. what I've seen and witnessed in my own relationships and with clients over the years is that if men are taught to breathe and recirculate that energy, then they can even if they have an orgasm, they will lose a minimum of energy, right? So there would be a question about whether if you're really deeply practicing this recirculation and breath work, whether you are truly losing energy, I suspect you still are, but much less than if you weren't practicing this conscious breathing. And then for women, there's a concept that women lose a lot of that energy, not so much through orgasms and unconscious sex, but through menstruation, through unconscious menstruation. And so there's techniques to have women recirculate that energy in the same way. Way. So rather than just dumping out that energy the way, say, men do at orgasm and many women do through their menstruation and they feel the, the similar symptoms, they feel tired and low mm -hmm. energy and even depressed and like immobilized, 
that's a symptom that we've lost energy, right? And so I'm all about this barometer, what's giving us energy or taking away energy. And then there's techniques for both men and women to revive themselves and become revitalized through these experiences. And even women, I would say during sex can practice the same kinds of breathing techniques and gain more energy. And so people will say to me, or they have this assumption that, you know, my favorite thing about sex is like the pleasure and the orgasm. I'm like, well, that's great, but I'm really into the self-realization and I'm really into the creative um, power and flow that I get. Like I'll have sex and run to my computer. You know, I noticed this early on, like I would just be so inspired with all these ideas that I would run to my computer and start writing them all down. And that's, again, that's a barometer for me whether we're taking this energy and then tapping into it, harvesting this energy as a power source, and then we have it available to channel into every other aspect of our lives. And that affects everything from our intimate relationship, our health, our body weight, our mental capacity, our creativity, our finances. I found that there's a direct correlation to how tapped in people are to their sexual energy and every other aspect of our lives. And yet most people don't make that connection because they've been taught there is no connection, right? Your sex life kind of exists in isolation in some remote port part of your life. And it's not, has no you know influence on anything else that you do. I remember I was riding in the back of an Uber uh, back when you could do that, <laughs> when things yeah. were normal. And uh, you know, the guy's like, oh, you're, you're Dave. And so he's like, you know, tell me all the entrepreneur tricks. And he's like, I'm trying to, you know, got my side hustle. I'm doing all this stuff. Um, clearly, he was a, a Gary V, a Gary V follower as well, I think. And he's like, what would your one piece of advice be? And I just look at him. I'm like, stop looking at porn. <laughs> and he goes, what? Like, how did you know? And I'm like, I don't know. That was just like what seemed to be the right thing to say. And he's like, yeah, I, I noticed I'm spending a lot of energy on that. And he's like, I know it's taken away from my business. And I've had other people who saw my talks about male ejaculation and how there's a hangover, at least if you're doing it wrong. Um, and they're like, okay, so I decided I wasn't going to ejaculate for a while. And I started two companies and I got a $30,000 raise and like all these stories would come out, which it's interesting because you go back to Napoleon Hill, he interviewed dudes. And he was talking about it really from a male perspective. And this, the, oh, you know, don't have an orgasm every time. It doesn't seem like that's the right rule for women. But for guys, it's like, okay, maybe you have an energetic orgasm, but you don't actually ejaculate and things like that. Right. So, so I'm wondering, okay, the Taoists say a woman walks away undiminished, but they don't say a guy does. So let's focus on women. What gives a woman the most energy after sex? Like, what do you do to make that happen? I'd say breathing is a huge piece of that. Yeah. So, you know, we lose, we recirculate energy through the breath. Breath is a carrier of prana, of chi, of energy. And so that most people tend to breathe really shallow, hold the breath, tighten up when they're sexually intimate. <sighs> right? And so they're curtailing the flow of that energy and then they usually just eject it out of themselves. And so that deep, steady, four count inhale, four count exhale really helps to move and recirculate the sexual energy in the body. And then it naturally goes to where it needs to go for healing and rejuvenation in our system. For women, I would say the breathing then is an important piece of that. And then I would also say seeking out vaginal orgasms versus clitoral orgasms. So the equivalent to a typical penile orgasm 
mechanism of build up, get to a peak, have these contractions, and then decline and decline in energy is a typical clitoral orgasm as well. There's a build, there's a peak, there's contractions, and then there's a decline of energy, right? Where often women will use that type of orgasm in the same manner as stress relief or to help them go to sleep, right? Which to me is the lowest form of using that orgasm. Again, not from a moral judgment place, but what's giving us energy and what's removing energy. So for women seeking out these deeper vaginal orgasms opens them up to much more cataclysmic, deep, powerful, transformative, cosmic places within themselves. And so these orgasms, I say, are the life-changing orgasms for women. This is what really helps them to self-realize tap into their true potential. These orgasms, like at the cervix in Taoist sexual reflexology, they mapped out reflexology points in the vagina and the vulva and in the penis. And the cervix is considered to be the heart point for women. And there's an association with the vagus nerve going all the way up to the crown chakra. And so in achieving these orgasms, they are actually opening up in this very deep cosmic spiritual rebirth level, right? La petite mort, the little death, the little death and rebirth. And this again, really reflected my own experiences of what these orgasms were about. So my very first orgasm personally was a cervical orgasm. And then later on, a few years later, I had a you know clitoral orgasm. Again, these were all through my own exploration, not because I knew what I was looking for. It was just searching and exploring and finding them. And then in having clitoral orgasms, I was kind of like, well, that's fun, but like, whatever, that's nothing like what the (laughs) vagina is all about, right? Like let them eat clit is what I say, right? But the good stuff is all in the vagina. (laughs) The clitoris is literally the tip of the iceberg and 90% of the power of female sexuality is in the vagina. So I would say that the direction for women that I recommend is heading into the vagina and doing that exploration there because there's so much rich territory to be explored. And then I I often say that women can save thousands of dollars and hours in therapy by having vaginal orgasms. Like once they have them, they don't go back. And then another thing to know is that every woman can, this is the Anami guarantee and everything that we've talked about, men being able to you know, have sex for eight hours without having an orgasm or learn how to separate orgasm from ejaculation or women having G-spot orgasms, cervical orgasms, ejaculating across the room. I guarantee that every single person can do these things. They just need to know that they can and then learn the steps to getting there and remove any kind of blockages that are impeding the natural flow of that innate energy that we all have. All right, uh, guys and uh, women. Uh, kimanami.com slash Dave is where she teaches you how to do all that stuff. That's a pretty strong pitch, I, I have to say, uh, where you're just saying it's a guarantee. <laughs> so I appreciate the yeah. integrity in that. And uh, I can't say that I've gone through the whole program, but I do know the things you are saying are true because, well, you know, I have experienced many of the things you're speaking of. And I'm actually going to go through the whole program because how could I not after after interviewing you? So. I've also read a study, I think I even referenced it in a blog post once, that something like 20% of people have deep spiritual experiences during sex, but their partners may not know it because, you know, you you just see them laying there twitching (laughs) or or moaning or doing whatever it is they do, right? And, uh, but, you know, in their inner, in their mind, you're there, they're meeting God, they're, you know, seeing past lives, they're doing all kinds of stuff. Do you believe that 20% number? Um... Like, are you slanting it? You think it's low or high? You just have more experience than I do. So 
So I, I, I mean, heck, what's my sample size, right? I'm not that big of a, you know, a, a man ho. I'm married. I'm monogamous. You know. <laughs> so I, I don't know. Well, look, I would, I would be thrilled to think that that was true, right? That 20 percent of people were actually having spiritual experiences through their sexual lives. I would love that to be true, and then of course would love to see that number go up higher. Like for me, spirituality and sexuality are very similar. You know, this idea of opening and surrendering and trying to put the little self aside to open up to this divine channel and flow of energy. There's massive similarities. And then that's that's really what I my work is trying to gear people toward is having these life-changing, cataclysmic, therapeutic, deep, powerful, even you know, psychedelic type experiences that really change your life. Like I said, if it's not changing your life, you're doing it wrong. It's because this has the power to really rebirth, right? This is the procreative energy of the universe that we literally have at our fingertips, every single one of us. We just have been, it's been obscured, it's been distorted all of the censorship and the misinformation about sex has removed that knowledge from people and that even awareness from people and the high amount of trauma that most people sustain in some way, right? Obscures and dissociate, dissociates them from that energy. So in the ideal world, yes, I think that these twains do meet very beautifully and that in the highest level of those experiences, they are spiritual, they are transformative, they do make people feel like they've been reborn. And Truthfully, like my early experiences feeling like that have been why I do what I do today because I had that. That was the, the benchmark for me of this is what sex is. It's not about just blowing out or jerking off or, you know, having a brief moment of pleasure. It was like, no, I felt like I was being reborn as who I really am through my sex lives, sex life experiences. And so that's really why I do what I do is to show people what this is what's actually possible. What did the pandemic do uh, in terms of what people are doing with sex and sexuality? Well, look, in my business, it's like wide open. Like people have been busier than ever signing up for my classes, perhaps because they're on lockdown and it's something they can do together within their uh, the confines of their own home. So from me, my business perspective, it's been really positive and I've seen more people than ever interested in these things. Like I was surprised. I didn't know what this year, this what the past year was going to look like, but people were very interested and took many leaps into these areas. I, I saw a statistic sometime in the middle of last year. In the US, uh, the things that increased in purchasing the most were guns and toilet paper. So I'm an American living in Canada for 10 years. In Canada, the two things that went up were sex toys and Netflix subscriptions. <laughs> so Wow, sex toys, really? Well, they're like, we're stuck at home. What else are we going to do? And plus, it's dark well, all the time up here half the year, so. Look, I agree, but I'm amazed that that many people, like I said, that reflects my own experience in my business, but I didn't know there was an actual statistic out there to back it up. Yeah, it. I really laughed because it, it was just such a, a marked difference. You know, we're both on the, you know, the same continent and, you know, very similar cultures, but there was that one little difference. Maybe it's because it's harder to buy guns. Yeah. Who knows? I would think, yeah, if guns were available, they probably, <laughs> if there was a gun <laughs> culture in Canada, that might've been a different number. Yeah, it, it definitely could have been, but still, it, it just made me laugh. And speaking of sex toys, good, bad, it seems like a lot of them are focused on the clit, not the cervix. So what's your take on, on toys? 
Well, look, I, yes, like I think that toys, especially for single women, women wanting to explore their bodies are fantastic, right? And I think they can add another element of joy into couples. But yeah, I mean, I deliberately created my own line of hand blown Venetian Murano style glass couture dildos to focus on the G spot and the cervix because that's those, like I said, those are the orgasms that I give the most attention to and the most education around achieving for women. And so that I don't sell any vibrators or clitoral toys because I'm always like, put down the clitoris, go into the vagina, <laughs> step away from the clitoris. Um, I think that for women who've never had clitoral orgasms and are struggling, then a clitoral vibrator can be a good tool to just break into that territory, but then I would let it go because a vibrator is much stronger than a finger or a tongue. And we want to be able to cultivate organic experiences and not be reliant on an external device. So, and then the same thing with the dildos is that they're, they're like I've shaped them and designed them to specifically hit these areas. And so it's going to help people achieve that and get there. And if women are single, great, that's a companion for them. But then optimally they do that with their partners, right? With their hands and their tongues and their other body parts are all exploring together. And the toys can be like an adjunct, you know, fun once in a while, but really their bodies are the primary source. What's so special about glass as a material for toys? Um, well, for me, like I take an active role in the design and production of everything that I put out there. So for me, glass had the most malleability, right? So that I actually went into a glass blowing factory and sent, spent weeks there with the glass blowers to perfect these designs and work with them, both from a design perspective and then from the color perspective. I wanted to, you know, my brand is all about really bright, vibrant, vivid colors. That's pretty cool. It's definitely not anything that I've I've tried Glass also, it's dishwasher safe <laughs> and nothing will break it down, <laughs> which is, which is nice. Right. You can do hot and cold play with glass and it's very substantial. Like these things weigh half a kilo, right? So they're definitely have a lot of weight and oomph to them. What is the most common place that people get, get stuck on just going deeper with sex? Like there's there's one thing that's holding them back that's the most common you see when you're working with people. What would you say it is? Hmm. I think it would be a com something along the lines of not knowing what they don't know, right? Like they have bought into this narrative that sex is a small part of a relationship or other myths like it's normal to lose your sex drive and desire after two years. And so they're just, they don't really understand the true power of what sex is and has to offer them in their relationship, that their sex life is truly their power source. And they become what I call superpower couples, right? When a couple is on this journey together, they combine forces and they amplify, you know, a hundredfold and become these massive power generators. And it's mostly that people just don't realize that, right? They've had their own conditioning and programming about sex that minimizes the importance of it. And then at the same time, they have trauma layered on top of that. And they do not realize the influence that those things are having on them. And so I think the biggest piece is just like showing people, like I said, what's really possible with their sex lives and then showing them how to get there. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. 
This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. I did a, a recent interview of with a guy who put together the largest survey of fantasies I'm ever done to see you know what people actually are looking for. And he did it by gender. He did it by where you live. He did it by your political affiliations, all, all kinds of stuff, just to look at you know who likes what. And found there was a, a huge, huge variety of things that people were, were anonymously, when they did the survey, were willing to say, oh, yeah, I'm interested in this, I'm interested in that. Um, are there fantasies that you like, actually, you, you probably shouldn't go there? Or are you like, hey, if you if some part of you wants it, go for it? I think fantasies can be very therapeutic and I think they're also very symbolic, right? Like I think that, you know, typically the most common fantasies and you might be able to prove me differently based on this um, research, but for women is, is like the idea of being forcefully taken, right? Being overwhelmed, like, you know, so-called rape fantasies, right? And, um, or being with several men. And then for men, it's usually around having several women. And I would say, okay, so there might be <laughs> like some element of say bisexuality that would be served by actually living out those fantasies. But typically, like, let's say for the woman's one, the idea of being overwhelmed by masculine energy, like if we were to dig deeper in that relationship, like presuming she has one, that we'd probably find that let's say the man isn't really rising up into his masculine power. He's not really seizing her or dominating her her or claiming her in a strong, forthright, masculine way. And so she's craving this energy of being overwhelmed with masculine energy, which could then even translate into this idea of having several men, right? She's just craving really powerful, authentic, masculine energy. And then the same thing for a man, right? Is like the more women is symbolic of actually having much more of this feminine energy. And in our modern times, like we're seeing this whole move towards gender neutrality rather than appreciating and honoring and revering the different characteristics in masculine, archetypal masculine and feminine energy, which I'm all about. And appreciating that, like that's what creates the most powerful chemistry, sexual chemistry, right? Is a much more amplified masculine and amplified feminine rather than two people who are very neutralized generally don't have any sexual desire or attraction for each other. It makes sense. The, the polarity thing is really big. John Gray, um, who's a dear friend, has been on the show several times, and he's talked a lot more about that in the last couple of years than he has throughout most of his career, even though the Mars and Venus books do talk about it. Uh, but uh, he would share things with me um, as a friend. I'm like, you need to tell the world about that. He's like, no, no, not yet. But just in the last couple of years, the, the last <laughs> interview, I was like, whoa, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, finally, you're going you're gonna, to you know, go for the good stuff. And, and so, yeah, you know, allowing yourself to be very masculine or, or very feminine um, can work better. But it seems like a lot of people, you know, have, have maybe don't have a roadmap for that. I mean, I watch the movies and, you know, the, 
the heroine is now like doing, you know, flip karate and, you know, leading the commandos and all that stuff, which is not typically a feminine thing to do. Not that women can't do that. It's just not a very feminine role, right? Whether or not she's wearing high heels while she does it or not, that <laughs> it doesn't really make it feminine. Right, we'll right? throw those in there, yeah. Right, so when you say, you know, more feminine energy, what does that actually look like? Like, what do you do to cultivate the feminine? Well, I think that, look, you know, women can still be, um, out there in the world and choosing whatever career they want. And if they want to lead an army, you know, so be it, but they have places where they do then rebalance, right. And they do get to experience and embody more of that feminine energy. And there was, and they can even combine the two. Like I have a couple of great stories where there was a woman who came to one of my retreats years ago and she's like this Amazon. She's like probably six feet, like really large, breasts, like beautiful, just beautiful woman. And she would never wear a bra. She was, and, and not in the way of like wanting attention. She was just kind of like, this is who I am. And I'm really comfortable with who I am. Right. She had this delightful feminine energy. And I was talking to her and I was like, tell me what you've done because what you're presenting to me, like usually women of that stature or so even with large breasts that they haven't paid for, but like natural ones will hide them they will kind of like trying to kind of cover that part of themselves and to not get too much attention. And she was just there. She wasn't seeking attention, but she wasn't hiding from attention. And she was just really authentically being herself. And I said, like, tell me, tell me what you've done. Cause I know you've done something deliberately. And she said, well, then she said, she's actually a lawyer. She's a, uh, not just a lawyer, but a litigation lawyer. Right. So she's wow. in court fighting, you know, arguing all the time. And she went through this kind of metamorphosis of realizing that she could still live in that role and occupy that role while still being in her feminine energy. So she talked about how she like in the morning before like a big court case, she would get up at 6am and she would pour herself this beautiful bath and put flowers in the bath and drink herbal tea and do her meditations. And then she would like go into the courtroom in this really flowy, calm energy and pretty much knock every case out of the park. And like, she would say her counterpart, usually a man would come in all rushed, you know, slurping his coffee and like all kind of in a tizzy. And she would just obliterate him like in this calm kind of, you know, whatever deliberate energy that she had. And that she learned how to activate her feminine energy in a way and still use that out in the world, where I would say that most women, myself included, from a young age, got the kind of messaging that in order to be successful in a man's world, we would have to adopt male characteristics, right? We would have to kind of put on the same energy and drive and appearance even as men to be successful. And then over the years of working with polarity with people have seen women do the opposite, like really activate their feminine energy in the workplace rather than kind of bringing up this alpha male energy that butts heads with the other alpha males, even if they are in a position of leadership uh, over these other say males, learning to somehow sink into that feminine and come from that place was, you know, reduced their adrenal fatigue, <laughs> but, but also allowed them to cooperatively work with these men. These men would actually then engage with them in a way that was much more collaborative rather than feeling like there was this headbutt, you know, confrontation that was always taking place. So I think it's for like for women, it's about really embracing the fact that feminine energy has its own kind of power. It doesn't look like masculine energy and that slogging, going out there and working hard to get things done, but it's a different kind of energy of cultivating their own, whatever, whatever really 
makes them feel alive. And that's its own kind of radiance and magnetism that gets things done in the world. It just looks different and has zero appreciation compared to the way that we look at male energy as getting things done in the world or masculine energy. Did you follow all that? I kind of, I did follow that. Was that clear? It, Mm -hmm. it, It makes a lot of sense. Um, another another one of the episodes uh, that came up within the last year, uh, we talked about the the dangers for women of using hormonal birth control uh, versus other forms of birth control, and how it could suppress sexual desire and, and even suppress femininity. And that a side effect of that was that when guys are in an area where there are no fertile women. That, that our desire to do good things in the world goes down dramatically. Like I'll stay on grandma's couch and play video games all day because what's the point? Like I'm not getting pheromones. I, I'm not getting signals that are operating on me at a low level. And uh, um, do you see hormonal birth control as being part of the equation for satisfying sex? Well, look, in my work, I <laughs> I think I have a video in one of my classes called Get the Fuck Off the Pill. So if that's a <laughs> concise answer to how I really feel about I that. I agree. <laughs> um, right. Is that, no, I don't think there's any place for it. And especially the way that it's given as this sort of cure-all band-aid, right? Oh, a woman has acne who's 14. A girl has acne who's 14 years old. Put her on the pill. A woman's having challenging periods. Put her on hormonal birth control. Like, it's just, it's ridiculous in my view how it's used. And not to mention, right, as birth control where there are, you know, ways that we can assess natural fertility and lack thereof that are super easy, but they're free, right? Which is why there's no pharmaceutical drive towards educating women about these things, but that's what I do in my salons. So no, I totally discourage hormonal birth control. Absolutely. I don't think that we need any kind of chemicals to interfere with our bodies. All we need to do is actually align with our bodies, get to know our bodies and read the very, very clear messages that our bodies give us. Just like any other animal, female animal in the animal kingdom, it's very clear when they are in estrus. There is no mistaking it, right? And once you get to know the signals, I'd say it's the same for women. So yeah, to me, there's no place, no matter what it's being prescribed for, for hormonal alteration. Um, I love it that you said that. Um, I think that uh, hormones that interfere with your basic function like that, when I mean, we have the evidence, they they make you old, they increase your risk of cancer and all sorts of other diseases, but they also steal desire uh, at, at mm. a certain level. Uh, and that's not good for that, that that energy that we're trying to tap into, just the, 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 the base of your training. So I appreciate that you're, uh, you're willing to share that because it can be controversial. It's like, there are many forms of birth control that work. That's just the one that has the biggest downside energetically from what I've seen. It, is there a favorite or best form of birth control that is compatible with having the most sexual energy? I would say anything that doesn't involve any kind of interference with the body. So all of the natural fertility awareness methods where you yeah. observe signs and signals in the body, that's it. To me, that's all that's needed. We don't need devices. We don't need chemicals or hormones or anything. That's really just a big, to me, like cash cow, right? And and I think it's actually oh. disempowering. I think it's disempowering to tell women that you don't know your own body, but this thing does, or this person does, or this medicine does. 
you know, to me that that all works together, right? This idea of sexual self-knowledge and awareness. And it's really empowering for women. They get to know their own cycles. You know, the whole period cycle is a beautiful teacher for women. And that's, they're being deprived of all of that. We're just saying, no, we'll erase that. We'll completely delete that out of you. And people should also know, and you may have talked about this, but, you know, when, when the, the argument is often given that birth control, when it's given in these sort of medicinal ways, is balancing hormones. It's not balancing them. It's blocking them. It's blocking yeah. them. So, you know, if, if there's no surprise that women come off of years or decades even of being on these things and they're, they can't get pregnant, they, they're infertile, their bodies are all in, you know, a mess because they've never had this natural flow of hormones, reproductive hormones, right? The essence of their very being in their body. So I think it's criminal, really, that these things are going on. Now, the... The awareness method kind of works, except that any woman who tracks her cycles and knows when she's ovulating knows that as soon as you start ovulating, you're hornier than hell, and every guy in the room will turn their head and look at you the second you walk in the door. And whether that's because of magnetism, uh, pheromones, hormones, God knows what, but you're super attractive then, and you really want sex right when you're most brittle. <laughs> so right. you're like, oh, sorry, I can't have it now. Like, How does that really work? Well, there's other options. I mean, depending on the method, some of the methods are fine with using condoms during that time, um, which I'd say is the least invasive form of birth okay. control. Oh, it's condoms and when you need it. You could use condoms. There are other orifices. There are other orifices to explore during this time. Um, okay. And I would say that if a woman is her most horny and desirous, I prefer the word, um, during sure. that time, then she's kind of out of balance. Because in my view, a woman ought not to be dictated by her hormones. She ought to be in charge. She ought to mm. be in a state of perpetual uh, desire and, you know, a, a, like uh, ready to go at any time. Right. And in the work that I do with women, if they do these kinds of things and practices, and then they are in that state, it's a perpetual state of desire. It's not just governed by a certain window in the month where they're suddenly in this place. Like maybe the signals they give off, yes, like ours, the smell is different. Men can pick up on that, this fertility. So, sure, there might be that going on too. But to me, like if someone is only feeling the most desire during that time, I would say something's wrong, that they're out of balance, that that should be a state that they are elevated and living from all the time, not just then. Okay. I, I like that answer. And it's, uh, it's a tough one because you know, birth control is, is, has done a lot of really good things for women. But man, doing it in a way that smacks you in the face biologically and takes away some of your energy just seems like a terrible idea. So I'm glad we're aligned there. Um, there's a difference though between intimacy and sex. And you talk about both of those. Can you talk about the difference between those two words? Well, I guess we could say intimacy is a sense of really opening up to somebody and no holds barred. So emotionally you're open, sexually you're open, mentally open, spiritually, energetically you're open in as many ways as possible. And I define that in my terminology as what we, the ingredients for gourmet sex, 
contrast that to say junk food sex, right? And the same analogies apply. Junk food is something that you eat that you might get a quick hit of gratification. And then usually there's a, d- a demise in your energy. You pass out, you're tired, you have kind of a sugar hangover or whatever it might be, or, or, you know, poor ingredient hangover. And so, you know, in my work, I'm always talking about trying to encourage people to have more gourmet sex, right? So it's not just about having lots of sex. Like, you know, it's like with food, right? It's not like any food. It's a certain kind of food that's actually nourishing and building you over the long term. And so in my definition then of gourmet sex, that is the deepest form of intimacy. And it's interesting because even... um, Napoleon Hill in his book talked about that. He said that sex on its own is can be quite a coarse energy. But when you combine that with emotion or combine it with love, that's when you harness the true power of it and it becomes a, a positive um, source in your life to shape things with. But without those ingredients, it's kind of, it can be even destructive, right? And I think we've seen that. Like there's so many variations of what sex can look like. You made that comment about porn, there's these more base or lower expressions of sex. And then I think the most high, high mileage, high value, nourishing, really building and sustaining uses of sex when we're conscious of it. And we know, but we don't know what we don't know. And if we go off the messaging of the general population and media and advertising and pop songs and rap songs, we get a certain vision of what sex is, which I think does it such a disservice, right? And that's why I say the most important thing is really showing people what sex can do for them that they just didn't even really think of. Although I would say that when people start learning that, they it's almost like a light goes on because intuitively they respond. They're like, yeah, that actually makes more sense to me than this other drivel that I've been being bombarded with for the last 20 years where, you know, sex is natural. It is healthy. It is even spiritual. That resonates with them when they hear it, but they often just haven't even ever heard sex presented to them in that way. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, uh, um, it, it's tough because it seems like a lot of people fear intimacy. Like they're afraid if they show themselves to their partner, how do people deal with fear of intimacy? I mean, this happens even when people are married. So what, what's the, what's the trick to get past that? practice, um, having courage and throwing yourself into it. I agree. That is probably one of the biggest challenges of being human is opening ourselves up, especially when we've had trauma or damage or hurt in the past. And so I'd say if we do have that in our past and we're aware of it, then there's a concerted effort to heal that right? To actually heal that past trauma and hurt if we're aware that it exists. And then try to get back to that, like I said, that original state or tabula rasa that we all have from which the anami guarantee comes from that we all can, right? And if there are things that are in the way, we just have to remove them to get there. And, you know, there's a beautiful analogy I use sometimes, which did you read the Chris McDougall book, Born to Run? Yes. Long time ago, right? Okay. Right. It's one of my favorite books ever. He was such a good writer and the stories and the characters in that book were so amazing, but he makes, you know, in his whole, uh, the book is really this talking about barefoot running and that movement and that humans were born to run. We were actually born to run. And there's never been a study in the entire world that's proven that running shoes improve running. Actually, all the evidence leads to the fact that running shoes actually interfere with running. So the bad knees and the injuries and stuff are actually caused by running shoes. And so I use that same analogy to apply to sexuality is that we all have that innate power. It's just that these trauma 
traumas and hurts and whatever have been layered over top of us. And so once we remove the running shoes or heal these situations, beliefs, experiences that have happened, we unveil the true power that's really there within all of us. And so that fear, you know, there's a beautiful F. Scott Fitzgerald quote that I love. And he says, all life is a movement towards or a movement away from one phrase. I love you. Right. So we're either moving towards that opening the heart and into deeper intimacy or we're moving away from it. And I think that's the whole journey is how do we live more in that place of open heartedness and vulnerability and intimacy and realizing that that's where our true power lies, right? In that intimacy and that vulnerability where we have to then like, you know, that's part of what I teach, right? Is the healing element, but then also how do we get more comfortable staying in those places of being open and authentic? And and I think that honestly, once people start to unleash the power of their sexual energy, these kinds of changes just happen naturally, right? This is one of the most amazing things I've seen in working with people and their sexual energy is that there are certain things that once they get in touch with that energy, they've been trying really hard to do for years, whether it's lose weight, find a new career, leave a relationship or heal a relationship. Once they activate their sexual energy and learn to harness it, that is such a powerful energy source that it literally just starts to plant and nurture these seeds in their lives where they start to take action and do things like quit jobs, lose that extra 15 pounds, you know, start a new exercise program, meet a new partner because their sexual energy has activated that within them, right? This life force energy now permeates everything that they do. And so just healing and, and activating that sexual energy in itself is a massive tool that leads to change and transformation without even trying really hard to make it happen. Man, you, you're, you're making me think about all kinds of stuff. So uh, I've got the title for your next book, Born to F. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've made that, that comment before. <laughs> and then you're making me think of, uh, I, I definitely still wear toe shoes. I think Mark Sisson and I are probably the only guys who still do that because of the Born to Run book and all the science around that. But my wife yeah. calls them my male birth control shoes. Uh, because of their incredible attractiveness, but uh, apparently I, I'm able to overcome my poor shoe choice. So that that's a good thing. But you just made me laugh. <laughs> Had to bring birth control into I, shoes. I- well, I mean, a side note on that: I've seen a few nicer models, but I had that same thought. I was like, "Those are the most kind of a stylish looking things, you know, oh, like God. the original models." But I've seen a few brands lately who had like more stylish versions of it. And then I, I go barefoot as much as I can. Like I live in an area in nature where, you know, I'm barefoot pretty much until I go someplace where I have to, I'm actually told I have to wear shoes to get inside the door, you know? Yeah. I'm barefoot uh, 90% of the time now when I'm traveling, I'm not walking through an airport, an airport barefoot. Cause well, that's just gross. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. You've talked earlier about cervical orgasms. Now, the cervix is kind of far inside, and there are a lot of guys who don't really hit the cervix. So how is a woman to experience cervical orgasms if her partner isn't so equipped? 
Well, the best position would be hands down, haha, doggy style. And so that tends to shorten the length of the cervical canal. And then if she's done some preparation work or they've done it together, right? So I talk a lot about yoni massage and lingam massage as being really great healing, clearing, activating tools for people to use on each other and themselves. And so yoni massage is a great way to open, activate, um, release tension and trauma and really wake up the vagina. And so they can do all kinds of preparation work to wake up the cervix prior to even attempting cervical orgasms. And then once the cervix is awake, and then I have, like, if it was really, really an issue of length, um, then I have these cervical dildos that would at least help to activate and wake up the cervix. But once it's woken up, then because these orgasms are so um, energetic, and once these neural pathways are activated, they don't even need to be hit. The cervix doesn't even need to be penetrated deeply after a while to even get there. I can have a cervical orgasm by having my elbow touched or hearing my partner's voice or by thinking about my partner, right? This sort of thinking off idea. So once the pathways are open, it's not so crucial. They could be making love and maybe touching her cervix or not. Like most people in the right position are going to get cervical penetration, right? If they're doing angling things, right? So I would say it would be pretty rare and below average circumstances where that couldn't happen. But like I said, if that was the case, then activating the cervix, getting that neural pathway open and alive. And then a huge piece of cervical orgasms is the connection, right? Because it's the heart point in women, if the woman isn't feeling open in the heart, it doesn't matter how much cervical direct penetration she has, it's not going to bring on the cervical orgasm. If she hasn't really opened and surrendered both in herself and with her partner, it's not going to happen. So the big key is that heart connection, that really feeling in tune and vulnerable and surrendered with each other. That's the biggest piece of cervical orgasm. And that's teachable in your courses. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. That's, that's impressive. Uh, guys, Kim Anami, A-N-A-M-I.com slash Dave. Um, all the stuff she's talking about is real in my experience. And it's stuff that almost no one talks about. And I'm pretty sure that this won't be an explicit rated podcast, but who knows it, it might be for this episode. Uh, but these are things that I believe are are fundamental to tapping into all of the power that's in the human body. You know, if you eat everything right, you exercise well, you get your good sleep, and you're not really uh, practicing a good sex or getting access to good sex, uh, you're probably not showing up all the way you can. And I, I just think if that's an area that people haven't worked on, it's, it's the one that most people don't think of when they say, I'm going to do something to develop myself personally. Like, oh, I'm going to go learn really good stuff about sex. Like, I'm going to go, you know, keto or something. Right? But I will just tell you that having lots of really good sex is probably better for you than changing your diet. But if you do both, it's synergistic. Right? <laughs> what food is the worst for having good orgasms? Uh, I guess anything that just tires you out, right? That gives puts you into a food coma, right? Like, Kale. I love that Japanese... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a Japanese expression. I forget what it is, but it's the idea of always leaving your stomach like 20 or 25% empty that you don't have these giant filling meals. And so I've actually talked about that as a, as a hack for sex dates is that you make sure that you don't fill up too much. So anything that's going to mess with you in that way or mess with your blood sugar, I'd say would be an impediment. 
What about guys who are having problems getting it up? Is Viagra a good thing, bad thing? You really asking me that question, or is this just like a? I'm like asking you that question, setting? right? There has to be uh, there has to be a downside to it. I would think I, it's not something that I uh, that I use or that I need to use. And I've talked about all kinds of natural ways and shockwave therapy and all kinds of stuff. But there's a substantial number of guys listening to this going, "That all sounds great, but it only works half the time." So, okay, you want to have a, fulfill, a fulfilling sex life. Your partner is having some hard times performing. So, yeah, I'm asking you, is Viagra yeah. a good way to do this? Yeah. Or do they need to, you know, go do some kind of yoni massage for a while and it'll just work? I, I don't know. You tell me. You're the expert. Right. Okay. Um, no, I don't. I've never recommended Viagra in my entire life and instead or career. Like instead, I work with men about how to. So to me, erections are mostly psychological. Right. So I'm, there, there may be a small component that I would say is physical, um, but I would say they're mostly psychological. And in my years of work, one of the most fascinating and amazing things that I've seen is that the erection is the barometer of the man. How much is the man really showing up in his body, in his life, in his career, in his sexual self? Boom. Like that's what shows up in the erection. And what I, I would see in my work is that when men were um, kind of adapting more of an effeminate energy or they weren't, they were shrinking in their lives. They were working in a job that wasn't in alignment with who they really were. That was what was showing up in their erection was this deflated erection. And so as we looked at these areas in their lives where they were not showing up, not fully embracing and occupying themselves, then, and we began doing that, then they began to occupy their erections as well. And so there might be some people who are in such poor health, you know, and I mean really, really, really poor health, like a small, small percentage where that that's a contributing factor. But I would say for the majority of men, this isn't a physical thing. It's not something that just happened to you. I mean, perhaps through excessive porn use and dopamine and testosterone depletion, that could be a contributing factor as well. Yeah, low that testosterone could be physical actually. element. Yeah. Sure. If, if sure, you're low testosterone, it's harder to get I, it up. That's pretty well established, right? You, but you can fix low testosterone pretty easily with either food or right. just taking testosterone, right? Or I would say you generate it by the life choices you make, right? Like there's certain things that build that build dopamine in our life choices and build testosterone, like even working out, you know, very intensely, right? Having a workout regime that's super challenging and really pushes you to your edge, like that's going to build dopamine and testosterone. And I would say the correlation to that is in a person's life and career. If a guy is working in a job where he's just kind of paying the bills and, you know, there isn't really a reflection of his true self, then his erection tends to reflect that as well. And then when men make a shift and they really occupy more of that, or even in the idea when in polarity of occupying and allowing themselves to be their full, unabashed, unrestrained masculine selves, that will then channel itself into their erection. So that's my take on it, right? Is that there's much more that we can do from this lifestyle, psychological, energetic perspective to build up masculine power and potency that then shows itself in erections. When a guy walks in the door, do you have a magic radar that tells you how masculine they are? 
Yes, I can tell how masculine they are. I can tell how, um, I call it well fucked. They are as in, that's what I call, <laughs> but, I that's, that. but let me, let me define that. So the, the definition of that isn't just somebody who's having lots of sex. It's somebody who is wearing their sexual energy. So this, what we talked about before, the concept of recirculating and breathing that energy all over you, people radiate that energy. It's a tangible, palpable thing that people can pick up on, right? And conversely, when they aren't doing that, they kind of like shrink into themselves, like the same analogy as the erection. And so, yes, I can read that in women. I can read it in men. It's really clear to me when that's present or not present. All right. So how well fucked am I? I'd say that you have a life force radiating out of you. Yes. That was such a non-answer. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's about as much of an answer as I'll give you. I would say that like you do have a vitality radiating out of you. Oh, there we go. So I like to think that I'm doing things right. But hey, you might be like, Dave, you look like a total wuss. I'd be like, whoa, that's amazing. Um, so I was hoping that you would say something that would be shocking and offensive, but I, I did my best. <laughs> now, I do want to know more about vaginal and penile kung fu. So what is that? Well, just like a martial art where you study something in depth to gain mastery over, over it, you can apply that to the study of our genitals. And most people are very dissociated from their genitals and not inhabiting their genitals, as I was just talking about. So that applies to both men and women. And a lot of the trauma and energetic stuff that we take on over the years, I would say gets embedded. Like, you know, Wim Hof has this beautiful phrase, the issues in our tissues, right? The things that right. get lodged within us. And so as we bring that conscious awareness through yoni and lingam massage and the use of a jade egg for women and penile strengthening exercises for men, then we start to build that awareness, sensitivity, articulation, confidence. And so I'm probably most known for my hashtag things I lived with my vagina campaign, which featured me traveling around the world, lifting different objects to various um, indigenous to various regions with my vagina to show the power of what vaginas can really do. And, and that's also, you know, an example of being creative, right? I think that when people are really inhabiting their sexual energy, that shows up as being creative and original out in the yeah. world. So I teach vaginal Kung Fu and I teach penile Kung Fu in my sexual mastery for men class. And I have a class called vaginal Kung Fu, which is all about mastery in these areas, right? Like learning how to actually reconnect, heal, and uh, uh, inhabit these parts of ourselves in a powerful way and then do physical, literal physical exercises. I guide people through exercise routines and guided visualizations to connect and strengthen these parts of themselves. And we have really radical results, right? Like, for you know, I talk a lot about the concept of the normalization of dysfunction. And so for women, an area where that is really present is in the statistic that up to up to 60% of women, according to the Yale University School of Medicine, experience urinary incontinence. And 50% of women after childbirth have POP or some kind of pelvic organ prolapse where there's literally organs falling out of them, right? And to me, these statistics are insane. This is so insane that, and that's considered normal. You know, I've interviewed people and they've been like, oh, 
you know, my son is eight right now, but, and I still, you know, you know, have, you know, urinary incontinence issues, but I know that's normal. And I'm like, wait a second. No, that's not normal. It's become normalized, but that's not normal. You're not supposed to be peeing your pants as a grown woman, right? Like just because you've had a child, that's this total tangent that what we've gone off on that we think that's normal. And so building up that strength in the pelvic floor for men and women is so beneficial to support all of the internal organs to prevent and reverse urinary incontinence, prevent POP, increase sensation, increase orgasm potential and the pleasure and the power of the orgasm increase lubrication, increase circulation. Like it's, it's, you know, massive, the benefits that we get from strengthening consciously the pelvic floor. We exercise every other part of our body, at least hopefully we do. And this is another part that just got neglected. I think symbolically as part of the setting aside or putting in the corner or obscuring of sexuality in general, that happened with the concept of then consciously exercising the genitals. If you're listening to this and saying that sounds um, wrong or that sounds like it's not real, I'm going to relay a, a story I haven't talked about in a while on the show. Uh, when I w- went through this one-year period where I was desperately trying to disprove the uh, the Taoist equation for how frequently a guy should ejaculate to live a very long time, uh, and there was some math I read in some book about that, uh, and... So I said, all right, I'm going to experiment with this, you know, ejaculating only once every eight days, having sex a lot more than that, but just only ejaculating that often. And then they said, if you really want to live a long time, a man should ejaculate not more than once every 30 days and keep the orgasm to less than an hour. I'm like, okay, I'm going to test this out. And so I did, and I published all the data. There were a few times I'm like 24 days. Oops. Well, let's start that experiment over again. But for the worst of the experiments that year, my wife was very, um, very nice to indulge all of this and thought it was actually kind of funny. Um, but uh, I went through one where I'm like, I'm going to test each of these, look at my daily happiness, my energy levels, and like, see, is my life better? And and what happens if you don't ejaculate as often, you have a lot more sex and you become more focused on like the pleasure of your partner because the goal isn't just to finish. The goal is like, have a good time. But what I found is when I did 30 days where it was like, no using the penis whatsoever, just all the other appendages that you can use. Um, there was alarming shrinkage. I'll just put it that way. I was like, what the hell? Like that that was not expected. So I did something called the male deer exercise, which is probably something that you've you've talked about uh, in, in your program. And it took like a week or two and it actually came back bigger than it was before. Like you can affect the size and shape and strength of those organs just like you can your biceps. Like it, it's the real deal. So guys, I'm I'm saying this just because it's real that you can do this. And it's it's not one of those, you know, kind of come-ons where, oh yeah, you know, maybe you'll see a little bit. It was a real noticeable difference. So yes, you can exercise those areas and no, you probably won't do it in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I'm glad you shared that story. And it's true, right? There can be, you know, we see these differences in men in size and shape and girth and erectile strength. And then in women in their lubrication, even women in menopause where they thought they would never lubricate naturally again, because circulation equals lubrication. Once you strengthen up that tissue and that muscle, you get the blood and the oxygen flowing, boom, you get the juices flowing, right? Or women who've had urinary incontinence issues for decades. And within one week of practicing these, you know, vaginal strengthening exercises with the J egg, gone, right? They'd had to wear like pads to go for a run or go on a trampoline with their kids. 
gone, right? And that just shows you like how neglected this area has been. And it's really, you know, a pretty sad comment on the professions that don't teach these things to people, right? That they've just, like I said, accepted this normalization of dysfunction. You're doing a vaginal kung fu salon, and because it's around Valentine's Day, you're closing registration February 12th. Uh, KimAnami.com slash Dave gets people to that. Are you going to cover specific vaginal exercises in the salon, or is this more of just an open discussion? Oh, no, this is get to work. <laughs> get All right. to work, kids. This is absolutely, I mean, there's a lot of emotional, energetic work that goes into it, but I have recorded MP3 exercises that guide people through working with the jade egg, different exercise routines to do every week, and then corresponding core strengthening work because these are the most effective when they're done in sync with core building and strengthening exercises, as well as guided visualizations to help people really tune into that area because, you know, it's like kind of with an exercise or weight loss regimen, you can just give people exercises to do. But if you don't have a whole, you know, whole body, whole being commitment to change, whether that's, you know, say somebody is an emotional eater, right? Or they binge eat or they eat with addiction or whatever other factors go into the equation, all of those things need to be addressed. So yes, I do full on all the physical information that people need, but all of the other spiritual, energetic, emotional healing that goes along with that too. Uh, beautiful. Multidimensional. Uh, well, guys and, and women uh, listening, this is something that I think you want to do. Uh, if, if you are not experienced in this, if you've never heard of any of this stuff, there is at least as much power from a really powerful spiritual sex life as there is from fasting or from learning how to exercise or learning to not eat crappy foods and all those things. It is a major missing piece um, in the world of just being a super high-powered human being. And Kim has done the work on figuring this stuff out. Uh, and I've had you know a good number of, of guests on the show where we talk about intimacy, we talk about sex, we talk about different techniques and all that stuff. This is a really powerful distilled uh, kind of a program. Uh, so if this pushes your buttons, so to speak, uh, it's uh, it's something that's worth doing around Valentine's Day. And my guess is that there's a, still a reasonable chance that you're locked up in your house still for questionable reasons. So you might as well have a lot of orgasms and have a really strong vagina and or penis. <laughs> on that note, Kim, thank you for being on Bulletproof Radio. My pleasure. And I'm glad that you see it that way as this missing piece and other incredible superpower that people have access to. So thanks for having me. It's been lots of fun. It has indeed. Kim Anami, K-I-M-A-N-A-M-I.com slash Dave. Go there, sign up for <laughs> for the, the workshop. And I think that you'll be blown away. Uh, and if you're not, uh, well, Kim will give you your money back. That's what the guarantee is all about. So uh, I uh, appreciate your time listening to this. I hope that you are planning something special for Valentine's Day coming up because whatever's going on in the world around you, you always have your bedroom. I'll see you on the next episode. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. 
Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.